This program is part of the Infinite Potato Alliance. Visit us at infinitepotato.com. Isn't it about time for somebody's favorite radio program? Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Do I sound like I'm wearing a pizza? Hold on to your butt. And here we go. From the historic Infinite Potato Studios, this is Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Hasta la vista, baby. Join us as we dive deep into all fandoms and genres of cinema and television. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. No gatekeeping. No toxic fandom. That monkey's my fly out of my butt. Now, only inches from a tall glass of Diet Mountain Dew. Just give me something without any sugar in it, okay? Here is your host, Sean Ray. Sean. Shawnee, if you're feeling a little loose. Never the Sean dog, because that's just lame. And I've never been one to chase balls. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. All right, it was a miracle. Can we go now? Keep the change, you filthy animal. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. My name is Sean Ray, and I watched the trailer for the new Matrix movie, and I was surprised that Neo is going to spend most of the movie looking for a stationary phone to use as an exit point. (laughs) We don't really have a lot of those anymore. (laughs) Joining me tonight in the historic Cosmic Potato studio, we have Scott. How are you, sir? I I have no funny catchphrase. Okay. Rick is here as well. How are you? I don't know Kung Fu. (laughs) (laughs) And also joining us is Chris. How's it going, sir? I have faith of the heart. (laughs) (laughs) This is the wrong show, Chris. (laughs) We're done with Star Trek. There is no right show for that. (laughs) Oh, Rick. (laughs) I am. I'm. Yeah, I'm jumping back to Star Trek. I'm fully on a bandwagon of the theme song for Enterprise is is underrated. It gets too much hate. It's fine. It's It's not horrible. It's fine. If you just terrible, you can appreciate it on its own for what it is. And I love that hat, Chris. I you know all right. I am not shitting on Enterprise. I like Enterprise. I'm I okay. Do you know why I don't like Faith of the Heart? First of all, it's because it's a horrible, horrible song. Yes, but it also sounds like Brian Adams, and I can't stand Brian Adams. Does it cut like a knife, Rick? It does, but it feels so right. No, it doesn't. <laughs> My only problem with it is that it's not it's not original for the show. That song was already around. They played it in Patch Adams, <laughs> and I believe the actual title of that song is "Where My Heart Will Take Me." I'm sorry that you have to know that. You know, I'm sorry. You think it sounds like Brian Adams? It's 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 Rod Stewart. It sounds like. Who? Well, okay, but Brian Adams. Okay, well, this is the deal, though. Okay, first of all, my my beef with Brian Adams goes all the way back to 1981 or 82, whenever "Cuts Like a Knife" came out. No, 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 no. Early days of MTV, brother. Yeah, and. Um, <clears throat> one of those summers, <clears throat> excuse me. I, was it 69? I no. knew it. <laughs> Saw it coming. Yeah. 
I mean, you, just... you, you didn't even need I, to tee that one up, but you did. I know. I stepped right into that one. I, I, but, um, my, my, my friends folks hired me to paint their house. And, you know, so th- this was, you know, 1980, I, we were still in high school, so it must've been 81. Uh, and, you know, this is long before I, I think I might've had a Walkman, maybe not. Uh, but you know, so I was, it was the radio, you know, and, and I was the only one painting this big ass house. And so I was listening to the radio for eight hours a day while I was painting the house and they must've played, uh, Jack and Diane and cuts like a knife 400 times a day. Yeah. To the yeah. point where I'm still sick of both of those songs. I, you know, I feel bad for disliking Mellencamp's music because he used to show up on a, on a radio, on a, a morning radio show. I used to listen to the uh, Bob and Tom show. You hate Ryan Adams because he was popular. No, I hate the song. Oh. I hate his sound. I hate <laughs> right. his music and I couldn't escape it in the eighties. Yeah. Well, Mellencamp, hmm. I don't particularly like his music, but what I've heard of him, he sounds like a really cool dude. So I feel bad for not liking it. Adams, I don't know. I have no idea what his personality is like. So I just don't like his music. And he sounds like a bargain basement Rod Stewart. <laughs> so uh, I don't and Rod know. Rod Stewart if, was never a big fave of mine either. I got to tell you, yeah, given a choice between John Cougar, Menstrual Cramp, Brian Adams, and Rod Stewart, <laughs> I'm listening to Brian Adams every time. And I'm a fan of classic rock. I just never got Rod Stewart. The small faces, Rod Stewart solo, the whole, I just, I, I don't get the appeal. If I want to listen to that, that kind of voice, I prefer Kim Carnes. So now that we've, annihil- <laughs> we've annihilated all of the uh, soft rock fans that are, <laughs> that are tuning into the show, uh, before we get into our topic tonight, what have you guys been watching, reading, listening to, playing? Chris, what, what, what have you been doing lately? I feel like you mentioned this on the last show, Sean, um, that I listened to, but it could have been a couple of shows for you guys. I did that um, brand new cherry flavor because I love Rosa Salazar. I thought that that was just incredibly weird and great. I binged that over a couple of days. Um, It's good. I haven't haven't finished it yet. I've I've been kind of just doing a couple episodes a week trying to stretch it out. So I yeah. Yet, yeah. No, it's, it's really good. And, yeah. um, it gets, you know, more and more progress, progressively screwed up. So, um, it's one of the most original things I've seen in a while. And I just, I've, I've liked Ro- Rosa Salazar since I saw her in her other Netflix or Amazon. It was an Amazon series. It was sort of a rotoscope and, man- uh, animation series with Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. I forgot, I, I forget what it was called, but I liked yeah. her in that a lot. Yeah, I can't and, remember the name of it either, but they're supposed to be doing another season of it. That's I, a, I don't I don't even know if it's even needed. I mean, it ended on a cliffhanger sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was I think she carried that well. She carries brand new cherry flavor well. And for anybody that doesn't recognize the name, she was the captain in the trouble with Edward mm-hmm. Short Treks. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. And Rick, you had the same exact reaction when Sean told you that four shows ago. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm late to the party. Um, I'm still doing my chronological Star Trek rewatch. I'm um, stalled in the middle of Bread and Circuses from season two of TOS, and um, that's, a, that's I, a tough one. <laughs> actually, I think it's it's 
a lot more nuance than a lot of season two so far. It, it's I a think, lot more prescient that I think we give it credit for. Yeah. And I mean, when you know the twist of S-O-N, S-U-N at the end, watching it with S-O-N in mind it says, how did you not realize it from the beginning? You know? Yeah. And, um, but anyway, um, I, I, I'm really liking that. And, uh, Oh, wow. I knew you were going to ask me this. I had a couple of more things in mind. I've just, I've been on vacation. I've been reading a lot more than I have in a long time because I just stopped reading for a while because I'm so busy. I just uh, read another book by Irvine Welsh. I finished Old Man's War by John Scalzi. And um, I started, no, just the first one. And uh, I think Ghost Brigades is next. I'm going to run out and get that. Yeah. Just, just a, 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 if you have the same, uh, experience i did the first book is really good mm-hmm. the second book is pretty good and i don't think i was able to finish the third okay or I didn't all right start it um remember i'm the guy that read and this ties into your question sean i'm the guy that read and eventually hate read the entire wheel of time series which was <laughs> nine billion pages long <laughs> and um one thing that i really enjoyed seeing in the last week was finally amazon dropping the full-length trailer for the wheel of time series that's coming up and i liked a lot of what i saw there now i know it's just basically like clip shots and boom like every trailer <laughs> but it's still i I kind of like the look of the world. I like the fact that when the Aes Sedai are using the one power, you can sort of see it manifesting around them. I'm wondering how when the Ashaman or eventually when the Dragon Reborn and the men start wielding the power, how it's going to look on screen like as a juxtaposition. It'll probably be like all black and sparkly instead of all white and bright like the Aes Sedai. But anyway, um, there's a you lot just made for Matt me. made Zupka very happy. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot for me to dig into because I loved that series for so long until Jordan completely screwed the pooch on it. And even with Sanderson coming in and cleaning it up and finishing it, you know, it was pretty OK. I enjoyed the last three books a lot more than I enjoyed the middle five books. Um, I think that I really want to see how they do a modern serialized take on it because of how amazing Game of Thrones was. It's as simple as that. Game of Thrones showed us that you can do this faithfully, adapt something to the way that you want to see it. And I guess to another extent, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, not so much The Hobbit. But when I saw Fellowship, Fellowship was just like everything that had ever been in my imagination since I was 13 years old come to life on screen. So if I can get something like that with Wheel of Time, I'll be happy. Even though if you told me, eh, you know, am I a Wheel of Time fan? Ostensibly, yes. Would I recommend anybody start reading it? No. But I still want to see how they realize it for uh, for the screen. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Rick, what about you? Um. I, I, I haven't been watching too much. Uh, you know, I'm still loving Lower Decks. Um, now this may spawn a conversation. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I have been shocked at how much I've been enjoying what if, uh, because I was not expecting to like the show. Uh, this week's episode though, uh, left me cold. Uh, it did not do it for me and I understand. And, and I think this episode, uh, just let me finish (laughs) this episode is what I was what I was expecting the whole series to do. Because everybody, every time I said, 
this one, I, it, it, it just didn't, it just, I, I didn't hate it. It wasn't like I turned it off mid, you know, I wasn't angry at the end of it. Like I often am with, with, you know, bad movies or TV shows. I just, when it was done, I was just like, meh. And then everybody's like, but it was just like the, the comics. And it was like, that's what I was worried about. I was worried that in order to enjoy what if I would have to be familiar with the comics. And up until this one, I didn't, it was all the MCU. But this one was the the MCU, you know, the, the the Marvel zombies had no connection to the MCU other than the characters. And, of course, my favorite character was the main one in this, <laughs> was one of the main ones. Um, so it just, it wasn't that I thought it was bad. I thought it was kind of pointless. Uh, there, you know, it, it, it just, you know, everybody, you know, I, I don't know if, if I should spoil or not, but it's, you know. And and the, the the way the the zombie virus works is, you know, I'm not a fan of zombies anyway, and I'm not saying that there has to be one rule for zombies. But usually, the way the the whole zombie thing works is if you get a, if you get bitten by a zombie, you die, and then you become a zombie, and then you gradually decay because you're a walking corpse. But in this, they get bitten, and then like ten seconds later, they're skeletal and. It's like what the, but they still had their powers and they still knew what they were doing and and I I just it didn't make a lick of sense to me and Ant Man is a head in a jar just didn't do it for me either and it it just was nothing Rick Rick I adore you because you're looking for a superhero zombie cartoon to make some kind of logical sense yeah yeah (laughs) they're superheroes and zombies. It was just, just roll with it, dude. <laughs> it was just fun. I mean, it was just fun. We need to give Rick a break. Uh, he's he's talking about how he you know isn't entirely on board with Ant Man as a head in a jar. When we all know that in the comics, it was Hawkeye that was a head in a jar. Who can who can yeah. who can oh, that would have been so much reconcile? I mean, that's the thing. I I never I never read the zombies comics, so I I couldn't compare the two. But it was. Hmm. But this this show was just yeah this show was just fun it was just uh it was fun if you like zombies and I it don't. had so many of the of the original voices came back I mean Paul Bettany was there Paul Rudd was there uh, Sebastian Stan um, uh, Mark Ruffalo Mark was Ruffalo. there Emily Van Camp was there yeah. Evangeline Lilly was there Chadwick uh, Boseman was there I Chadwick get Boseman. that but I just the, the, I did, it just didn't do it for me. And, you know, Rick, I made funny with the whole, you know, head in a jar gag, but really I'm, I'm kind of there with you. It's not like, it's not that I dislike the episode, but I think it might've been my least favorite so far, just because I think for me, it was the fact that they were doing a zombie story, which is supposed, you know, it's supposed to be a little scary. It's seeing all the heroes that we have loved in the MCU and most of them are the undead and they've been uh turned and corrupted now they're the bad guys and this is that should be difficult to see heroes are dying they're losing the fight this should be difficult to see but they were and then you get paul rudd making you know head in a jar puns i couldn't find the humor in it because they're swinging wildly from you know this is an intense zombie story to whoops slapstick (laughs) and then back again I couldn't quite follow it. It was fine. I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. You know? 
Yeah. I went back and I rewatched the Doctor Strange episode because I fell asleep the first time. And everyone said, oh, you got to go back and really watch it. So I did. And it was great. And then I watched the zombie episode and it was meh. Yeah. I, I've, re- I've really enjoyed the, sh- the show up until now. And, and it just... Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying it was bad. And I'm not saying that it was terrible. And I'm not saying you shouldn't watch it. I just wasn't thrilled with it. And everybody's like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm just... It just didn't. I don't dig zombies. I think zombies were played out t- ten years ago, <laughs> which maybe was when this series came out. I don't know, but it's uh, funny because I think zombies was one of the first things Sean and I connected on when we first guested on your show, Sean, me and Skip. We were talking. Yeah. Somehow we, were t- we tangented into zombies. Yeah, and we were talking about living time dead. travel, and we ended up on Return of Living <laughs> on Dead. On zombies, and then I, because I, I was listening back to eleven twenty two, and you were just like, "We have to come back and do a whole zombie show," which we never did. But maybe one day we'll do that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, anyway. maybe maybe someday they'll do the MC, MCU heroes. I'll become My Little Ponies. Maybe that'll be fun. So was <laughs> Al Gore be- ahead of the jar in this, or? <laughs> No, <laughs> maybe the cast of Star Trek. I don't know. <laughs> Futurama. On the upside, Futurama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think Futurama did the head in the jar thing a whole lot better, uh, especially when Nimoy gets fed with fish food. Uh, <laughs> but uh, on the upside, um, I found out with great glee and a little bit of trepidation because now I have to go back and, and uh, do some rereading because it's been so long. Um, the newest the the next and final expanse book is coming out in november finally and i am very excited about that um but it means i have to go back and reread the last one because it was two years ago and hell if i remember what happened uh just read the wikipedia page (laughs) (laughs) but i've i've you know one of the my life, such as it is, uh, has consisted largely literarily of me finding series very late in the game, which is great in mm-hmm. on the one hand. On the one hand, because like you know, uh, with like the the uh, inter- with the, the the Vampire Chronicles, Anne Rice's Vampire books, um, for years, all of my friends who know how much I was into vampires are like, "Have you read Interview of the Vampire?" No, have you read it? You know, and then finally. I read the book and was like, oh, that was, that was really pretty good. And then I read Vampire Lestat, which is so much better. Uh, and then I was hooked. And by that point she had written, you know, all of them, all of the, the initial trilogy mm. of them. So I didn't have to wait. And it was the same with the expanse. Um, after uh, season one, season one or season two of the show, uh, I decided to listen to book one and was just like totally hooked. And then I just burned through the next seven books (laughs) over the course of about six months or the next six books. Um, And it was just like not, you know, nonstop expanse. And then, you know, the shows would come on and, and, and I, the not one of the wonderful things about the expanse is that the books and, and the series which are the, um, you know, James S.A. Corey, who is actually two people, mm-hmm. um, uh, is also working with the writers on the series. 
So you've got the same creative uh, uh, force behind them, but the the series and the books are very different. You know, you got the same characters, you got the same basic storylines, um, but they're different enough that you can appreciate each one on its own merits. Uh, which, in my experience, is rather unusual for a, an adaptation of, uh, you know, a literary adaptation. Um, and so I, you know, I think The Expanse is one of the best science fiction television shows ever. Um, certainly one of the best ones on TV now. Oh, what? <laughs> I was, I was equally unimpressed with the first book and with the first season of the series. I don't even know if I got through the first season of the series. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's, you know, we can, we can agree to disagree. The, the, I mean, that's you know, you, first... you hate everything all the time. Let me have my chance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I will grant you that the, you know, the first season is, you know, like a lot of TV shows in their first season was a little rough. There were things in the first couple of episodes that looked promising and then they never went back to, um, but, uh, and there, they, you know, there are some, some issues now with the, with Cass Anvar turning out to be a perv and, and that kind of puts a pall on the series a bit because his character was one of my favorites, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, he, you know, uh, in the book, he's just words. So, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. but anyway, I'm I'm very excited that the 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 next book is coming out. I'm a little saddened that it's the last book that's coming out that they're going to write in this in the series. At least that's what they're saying. Um, Maybe you know what? Be grateful because it if this one is good, it will never have a chance to suck. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, I feel like, do I want to see more Quantum Leap? Yes. Did I like where they were going by the end of season five? Not especially, yeah. but I still enjoyed the show. So I feel like the way it ended, it never had a chance to turn me off. Like, like season seven of, of Next Gen, it was very clear that they were running out of ideas. And then they did one of the best season finale or series finales ever. And it was good that it stopped there. Scott, what about you? What have you, what have you been doing? Uh, aside from keeping up with my usuals, uh, including Lower Decks, What If... Um, uh, Supergirl has resumed for their uh, final season. They're not calling this a new season. It's just the second half of the season that they started. Like, who can even remember when they started it? And who even cares? Because this final season of Supergirl is not good. It's it it's it's pedestrian. It's elementary. It's it's simple. It's boring. It's it's cheap. It's not good. But I'm watching it because I've watched the series all Why? the way up to this point. All right, yeah, all right. So you're hate watching like I was. It, it, I'm, I'm watching for the same reason that I'm still watching The Flash. Scott, oh, you Scott poor bastard. You, you gotta understand that Scott <laughs> hates himself, and he he forces himself to watch the entire Scorpion series. Scorpion, Scorpion King yep. series. And One through five, baby. <laughs> all of these. Things. I mean, you made a whole podcast based on shitty, shitty properties. You poor, <laughs> poor man. Yes. I'm already surprised by how many uh, films that I've watched for, I've watched that for a dollar that are actually better than I expected. 
All right. Well, that's that's a happy but, accident because there were times I was watching The Flash or just insert DCWB CW show yeah. here. And I said, if this wasn't a, quote, superhero that I knew, would I be watching this? And I said, hell no. And that's when I just said, then turn it off. It's OK. You're allowed. To, when Rick gave himself permission to not like Stephen King, it was kind of the same thing. <laughs> I did give myself permission to uh, to. Yeet out, as the kids would say, yeet out of Batwoman. I watched, I think, right. two episodes of season two, and I I bailed out. I haven't continued since. But I'm still with Supergirl. I'm still with Legends of Tomorrow, and I'm still with The Flash because I I want to at least give them a chance to redeem themselves or just get it over with one way or the other. If yeah. I'll have some catharsis at the end. Um, also, can I, can I, can I just, I just need to interrupt really quickly, just as a public service announcement, as a teacher, no one over the age of 20 should ever say yeet. <laughs> <laughs> it, if my girlfriend ever decides to start listening to our podcast, she will appreciate the fact that I said it because she will laugh. She'll think it's funny. Your girlfriend's 19. Don't oh, God. <laughs> we were trying to keep that a secret no no a 19 year old no. would not think that <laughs> no she's not um so, in, in addition uh hbo max uh titans i'm still keeping current with that um and as far as movies go i recently rewatched uh the first resident evil with uh mia jovovich which is not I, i'm gonna steal rick's thunder that movie is boring as fuck. <laughs> it ain't good. Ladies and gentlemen, I have not dropped an F-bomb all night. I love how now Sean has the little bell so he can see the spike in the timeline. Yeah. He knows exactly where to edit. The editor to me just said, yep. brilliant, sir. Brilliant. It's not a good movie. I watched it uh, for um, I watched it for a podcast. Um, so I could have it fresh in my mind when I listen to the show. Um, excuse me. Also recently watched, uh, I think it was 2019's Escape Room, which is not great. Is that the, the first one with, oh, no, I'm thinking Cube. Hmm. I think I saw that Escape Room as well, though. Or maybe I'm thinking of Cube too. but they're the same exact movie. I mean, it's the same premise. The, yeah, yeah, and Cube had three. That was a trilogy. That was Cube, Cube. Which one had Esri in it? Uh, that was, that was well, the first one. To be cube, you would have to have three. Okay. Because that's the power of three. <laughs> but see, that's where, they, that's where they throw you for a loop. It's cube, and then it's cube two, and two, but then the two is small up in the corner, so it's like cube squared. But it's cube, squared. cube two hypercube is the name of that one. And then the third movie is actually a prequel called Cube Zero. <laughs> yes, I've seen them all. Yes, I have them all. Shut up. Um, Escape Room. Cube to the negative third power. Escape Room from 2019. <laughs> Not great. Uh, it, Is that the one where they were like there was a bar on the ceiling? And I think I saw that with Yeah, the there was a... I think we watched that one night. And we were looking at each other like, why are we watching? Yeah, it was like, 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 a, like a pool hall bar. And it was built upside down. Yeah. That was one room. In yeah, paper. and like, yeah, we, we never watch anything together. And we're sitting there watching this together. And we're looking at each other saying, why is this on our TV? <laughs> it, it, it wasn't great. It was, it was like 
young filmmakers really enjoyed the Saw series and wanted to do that, but with escape rooms instead of death traps. But with death mm-hmm. traps. That's the one that now now you're jogging my memory. There was also like an escape room that was outside in the yeah. snow. Yes. All right. Yeah, that was such a, a bullshit room. room outside in the snow. Yeah, uh-huh. Yes, Rick. Okay. Blows your mind. <laughs> Does it? It's just crazy. <laughs> Um, and the main reason I watched it is because the sequel just hit, um, uh, video, which means I was able to get it through my usual means because before it was just in theaters, but now it's not just in theaters. So I can get it the usual way that I get stuff. So now I can watch the, the sequel and I'll probably do that this coming week. Uh, but escape room, not great. If you're really bored, then go ahead and watch it, but no one should find themselves that bored with the amount of media that we have these days. And this afternoon, I finally watched uh, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. How was that? Not as good as I I wanted it to be. What did you think, Sean? I liked it. I think it was far enough because it was obviously a a sequel or a prequel to the G.I. Joe films from before. It had some of those characters, but it was far enough removed it didn't have so much GI Joe in it that it felt it felt more like you were watching like a a, a, a ninja or samurai revenge movie than than like that's movie. that's exactly what I was hoping to hear you say because I don't know GI Joe I don't know Snake Eyes and I went to see uh, Black Widow in the theater it was the first time I've gone to the movies in years. And the Snake Eyes trailer came on, but I had no idea what it was. And it just looked like like a neat action sort of kung fu movie. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they dropped that it was like a G.I. Joe thing. And I was like, what in the <laughs> ever-loving F? Yeah. I mean, if you know if you know G.I. Joe, you'll, you'll appreciate some of the things that they do. Because some of those characters go into G.I. Joe later. But if you don't know G.I. Joe, I don't think, I don't think you would completely not, not appreciate the film. Not knowing G.I. Joe, it seems to me like the int- the trailer intrigued me until I learned that it was a Snake Eyes mm-hmm. movie. And then I said, oh, should I like this? Question mark? I, I, I don't know. It, it seemed neat until I realized it was a G.I. Joe prequel. Well, we I saw the first G.I. Joe movie because um, my wife wanted to see it because, you know, the Transformers and G.I. Joe and all that's her. That's her. My wife is 13 years younger than me. So, you know, she's in the same uh, pop culture zone, it, y'all. It's, it's her bailiwick, as the kids say. That it, <laughs> as my seventy-year-old boss used to say fifteen years ago. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say bailiwick, and Laura still laughs. Oh, that's Peter. <laughs> anyway, that's I, you know, I knew nothing about. I knew nothing about GI Joe other than you know the 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 twelve inch action figures we had when I was a kid that had you know scuba diving suit you know and and all that stuff. Um, this is this is Rick gatekeeping GI Joe. No, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> Rick is I, talking about something twelve I, inches in a scuba diving a suit. Kid, when I was a kid, GI Joe was twelve inches tall. <laughs> and this is the time. Oh. <laughs> I'll I'll speak to Chris. Chris. If you're not familiar with G.I. Yeah. Joe, you I don't have to worry about watching Snake Eyes. You don't need to be familiar with G.I. Joe. There will be mentions of the organization, G.I. Joe, and Cobra. And Cobra I with a K, I hope. With a C. It's Cobra with a C. Oh, I'm thinking of Chaos on yes, Get Storm. Yes, you are. I'm sorry. Um, 
Okay. The the point I was making was not to shit on G.I. Joe. I was just saying I didn't know anything about y'all's G.I. Joe when I saw the first movie and I enjoyed it. So thank you very much. When you say y'all's, like, I think you're only like two years older than me, Rick. Maybe. Not you. But, not you. But I never, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that I'm really old. But (laughs) I never, you know what? I feel like I'm sort of in between generations for G.I. Joe. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm too young for Rick, your G.I. Joe, which is the 12 inch action figure. Yeah. And there was no no story to them. They were. And I'm too old for the late 80s, 90s cartoon G.I. Joe. So mm-hmm. like it was never anything like the only cartoon that I watched that I shouldn't have watched because I was way too old for it was He-Man because I just loved He-Man. I thought that was a great mm-hmm. cartoon. I even had a He-Man toothbrush holder when I was like, you know, 15. <laughs> so it's a little too old. But um one thing, Sean, you said, what are we watching? I did watch the entire He-Man reboot or anyway, season one on Netflix. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought it yeah, was good. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't um, gone back to finish that one yet. Um, the the one thing I will say to uh, some, I already forgot who said it, but Snake Eyes as being a prequel to GI Joe is incorrect because this Snake. I said it. I said it because I know Dick about oh, okay. GI Joe. Twelve inch <laughs> Dick about GI Joe. <laughs> Twelve inch scuba suited Dick about GI Joe. This, this Snake Eyes film changes the origin story of Snake Eyes from what we saw in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra with Channing Tatum. The flashbacks that we saw for Snake Eyes in that film, that does not match up with what we saw in this movie. So this film, from what I read, is intended to be the first film in what they want to be a shared universe of Hasbro products. So they'll have G.I. Joe movies, Micronauts, Transformers, now I remember Micronauts. And and a couple other properties they want to all exist in a shared movie universe. Oh. Uh, I mean that's pretty cool, but it's it's almost like uh Universal doing their monster shared movie and then they came out with the uh, I Frankenstein and the Mummy. Yeah, the, the, and I, I kinda like the mummy, but it's I don't, shit I don't, the think, I don't think I Frankenstein was part of that. I, I I, I think, think it, was. I think it was, I think the mummy was the I think one. I think I Frankenstein was like a a, a loose soft launch for their dark universe. Yeah, it was a soft opening, right? Yeah, soft opening for their dark universe, <laughs> yeah. which they they right, yeah. can tell very quickly, oh, this shit ain't gonna work. So they stopped. <laughs> I, I thought the mummy got way more flack than it deserved. Oh, I liked it. I, mean, it was I enjoyed the movie, mummy, but it was not actually bad. you know the mummy might come into play with um the topic of tonight's show. So. Yeah, we're not gonna get to the topic if we don't move along. Really quickly. Just really quickly, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, we're not, I don't need to go into it in any great detail, but uh, I, I, I spend a lot of time surfing YouTube, and I had forgotten about this, about the, the old YouTube channel, Ask a Ninja, and Boz posted one the other day. Just He stumbled across it and was like, remember this? And I've been, if you've never seen Ask a Ninja, it's hilarious. Just look it up on, on YouTube. It's one of the earlier... Uh, you know, early YouTube stuff, and it's great. That's all. Okay. The only thing that I've really been watching this week, my wife and I watched the entire series of Devs, uh, which is a FX series. It's, it's FX on Hulu. So FX and Hulu both have the series. And it's got Nick Offerman and uh, Allison Peel in it. And it's it's a very interesting show. It's kind of a, it's a thriller. It's a sci-fi story. It's a mystery. 
all of that. So ha- have any of you guys ever seen Did it? Did you see? Is it D-E-B or D-E-V? D-E-V. Never even heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, never heard of it. It is, uh, the main character is this girl named Lily and her boyfriend uh, goes to work one day after being promoted to the devs project at the software company where they both work. And only he ends up getting not alive by the end of his first day. And, uh, and in other words, he's dead. And so <laughs> the rest of the show is uh, unfolding what actually happened to him, who's involved, what this project is, and how uh, Lily is involved in it. And it's very good. It's only eight episodes, and it's a limited-run series. So as far as I know, there's not going to be a season two. It's just uh, one contained story in this eight-episode series. And uh, and I, I really liked it. You know, it's kind of a slow burn. It's got some. It's got a, a action here and there, but for the most part, it's a, it's a slow burn. But it's a it's a good series. Can so. I mention one more thing that I watched a while ago? But you said Allison Pill, so it jogged my memory. Mm-hmm. I I think it was called Them on Amazon. I've been meaning to black, watch that. Yeah, about a black family that moves into a white neighborhood in I think it's the fifties or the sixties in Brentwood, California. Amazing series. It was so weird and fucked up and just thought provoking. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I think um, I think Jordan Peele is a producer on that. Isn't it is it kind of tied to the movie Us that he did? No, it's not. And I thought it was because oh, okay. Us Them. And yeah. I like Jordan Peele's ambition, but like his movies leave me flat because there are just too many logical problems with them. Okay. Uh, they just don't make any sense if you really dig into them deeper than the metaphors he's trying to espouse but them wonderfully messed up in so many ways on so many different levels we could do a whole show but i'm saying if you haven't seen it sean put it on your list because it's disturbing and thought-provoking and where it ends is just like oh my god because you think that they finally got through this but then they have to it yeah anyway it's Yeah, it's something else. It really is. So our topic tonight, I thought we would talk about some actors and actresses that we think are underrated. Who are the actors that you think are exceptional, but you don't really see them getting like the big roles in Hollywood? They don't seem to be the leading man or the leading lady, but you love their performances. Or who is the person that could be in a movie and you'll watch the movie just because they're in it? And I'll I'll start. Uh, one of... The actors that uh, first, I I think he's underrated, but I also think that uh, he's an actor that if he's in a movie, I'll watch the movie. And that's uh, Stanley Tucci. He's probably the person that made me want to do this topic in the first place, because Stanley Tucci, I think, is a joy to watch on screen. His performance is always so understated. uh, But then he he has flashes of chewing the scenery, you know, so. So many actors are over the top from the beginning to the end, but he's very low key most of the time. And the first movie I ever saw him in was Big Night back in the mid 90s. You know, it was a film about a chef that he made with Tony Shalhoub and Minnie Driver. (laughs) And uh, he was the star of it, but he was also he was like the straight man to Tony Shalhoub and uh, for the majority of it. And more recently, there's a film that came out on Netflix last week called Worth. That's got Michael Keaton in it, and it's a it's about the firm that oversaw the nine eleven victims compensation fund, and the algorithm that they used to determine how much money each family would get based on 
different factors and things. And Tucci plays the husband of a woman that was killed in the World Trade Center. And um, for a majority of the movie, he plays it cool. You know, he's he's very understated. He even has a very polite conversation with Keaton's character. And he says, I think you'll find that I'm one of your harshest critics. And everything about this offends me. You know? And then, but then later in the movie, he like lays into him, and really lets him have it. Of course, that may be the the Oscar bait scene for the for the movie, but uh, I thought it was very good. I, I really like uh, Stanley Tucci. Now he does he does some goofy things now and then. He was in he played a really over the top character in the Hunger Games films and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you know, he plays these low key understated characters, and I really like. Yeah. He was in a you know, TV my, series too. He was in. He did a TV series, a medical drama called Three Pounds, uh, about probably ten years ago or so. That only lasted a few episodes and it got canceled. And it's called Three Pounds because he was a brain surgeon, and I guess the brain weighs three uh-huh. pounds or something like that. So, my favorite Stanley Tucci performance was one that was a complete shock to me, and that was he played Puck in. Yeah. A Midsummer Night's Dream, yeah, which that's mm-hmm. my favorite of Shakespeare's comedies. And when they, you know, this was what back in the nineties uh, with Callista Flockhart and Kevin Klein and mm-hmm. uh, um, John Hurt, John Hurt, William Hurt, William Hurt. Um, I always get the Hurts mixed up. Um, and they, you know, and, you know, most of the, the people that they announced was like, all right, that I can see that I can see that. Um, uh, but then they said Stanley Tucci is Puck and Puck is usually played by, you know, some petite little ethereal person, uh, usually, uh, uh, usually cast female, uh, you know, not always, but usually when I, when, whenever I've, I've seen the show done, the, the Puck has been played by a girl, um, because Puck is a fairy and Puck is, you know, supposed to be this little sprightly uh, character that just, you know, flits around the forest. And they said, Stanley Tucci. I'm like, uh-huh. but damn, he nailed that role. I always thought Puck is like a satyr. Well, that's kind of how they did it in that movie, but that's not how I've ever, I'd ever seen it before, but it worked perfectly. Um, but he was amazing. Um, I, I, I <clears throat> excuse me. When it comes to Shakespeare, Big shock. I'm something of a purist. I really don't like it when, you know, like I've never seen the, the, the DiCaprio Romeo and Juliet. Cause first I don't particularly like that show. And second, I don't like it when they say, you know, let's do Shakespeare in space. You know, when they just vastly alter the, the time when the, when the play is set, but the, the, the they don't change the dialogue at all. No, no, no. I know that. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this midsummer is set in like the 1800s. So there's, you know, bicycles and stuff. But the, the thing about midsummer is you, it, you know, the majority of the show takes place in the forest. So it really doesn't matter what time period it's in. Um, and Callista Flockhart was just amazing. Uh, you know, as she always is, but it's, it's, I, I strong, I highly recommend it. And Kevin Klein, I love, you know, I love everything he does, but, uh, yeah, Tucci just really steals the show as puck. My first, I'm just jumping in. Uh, my first exposure to Stanley Tucci was, in fact, Undercover Blues with Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner. I'm sure I saw that and I don't remember it. <laughs> Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner are former spies, now retired with a newborn. 
and they are called back into action for, for one last assignment uh, in New Orleans. Give me a year on that, Scott. Um, oh, shoot. Would have been probably the 90s. All right. If it was the 90s, then I didn't see it. I can. If it was the 80s, I probably saw it. If it was the 70s, Rick probably saw it and is angry. <laughs> oh, wow. Nine, 93, <laughs> even earlier than I thought. 93. 93. No. Are you kidding? No, no. I, I never saw that movie ever. I <laughs> Sorry s- to interrupt. I saw it. Carry on, sir. In the theaters. <laughs> <clears throat> 93, I was in my last year of school. I was doing nothing but studying. So. Uh, uh, Stanley Tucci, not even the villain in that movie. He's not a main character. He's not n- not the main villain. He is a, a side villain who pops up periodically throughout the movie to cause some mild annoyance to our heroes. Yeah, and then at the end he ends up throwing like a wrench into the works in at the end of the film, and he is a, a constant punching bag for the heroes. He's a, a small time like street thief in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and this is Stanley Tucci still still bald as the day is long. <laughs> yeah, and his character's name is Muerte. I think that means death. It does. See, yeah. see, je speak Spanish. That is that is his response to the main antagonist of the film when she says, "As in death." See, <laughs> see, si, si, je speak Spanish. Oh, see, si, see. Si. He's an absolute caricature. He's chewing up a lot of scenery, and uh, the the one pitfall that he does fall into in the movie is in his uh, cartoonish portrayal of a villain as the movie goes on and as more pain, injury and misfortune befall his character, he screams more. And the more that happens, the longer, louder and higher pitched the screams become. Until by the end of the film, you just expect that anytime he opens his mouth, it's going to be just a shrill shriek wow, and pretty much nothing else. Choice. That's what you end up hearing, no matter what's actually going on. Um, but still, even if it's a bit tropey, a bit predictable, it's still fun because he's having fun doing it and it shows. So I give him props for that. And that's the silliest I've ever seen him. I've I've seen Stanley Tucci many times in many works since then, and he always turns in a, a solid performance. Uh, easily the best part of the <laughs> movie, uh, titled Burlesque, with Christina Aguilera and Cher. Haven't seen it. Don't. Now I want to because you almost gag. <laughs> um, I was Sean, it's funny that if, if you watch Burlesque then you have to at least do yourself the favor of taking the antidote by listening to the episode of I Hate It, But I Love It. The podcast, uh, the Canadian podcast uh, hosted by uh, Kat Angus and, um, and ah, damn it, someone else. Um, and when they discussed that show is sometime either early this year or late 2020, they discussed burlesque. 
it was a brilliant episode of their podcast. Listen to that if you endure the film. I thought you were going to say the anecdote was uh, the antidote was a uh, magic mic. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, Sean, that you? It's just weird synchronicity. I don't know. I was cooking with my cast iron pan this morning, which weighs like forty pounds, and I was trying to like make an omelet and then like flip it. Like just by doing this, the, like the swoop and flip it, mm. and it reminded me of the scene in Big Night oh, after yeah. <laughs> everything went to shit, and um, Stanley Tucci in the morning as the sun is rising is in the kitchen, and on camera he basically heats up a pan, puts some olive oil in it, cooks up an omelet for him and Tony Shalhoub, flips it like that just in the pan, and then cuts it in half and puts half on Tony's plate, half on his plate. And I was thinking of that scene just this morning because I was just, you know, cooking in my kitchen. It's amazing that you brought that up tonight. So just just weird to me. Yeah, and he, and yeah, I like and I like that scene because because it's all it's all one take. So yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. There. And yeah. uh and everybody that comes in, people start coming in and there's no dialogue. Nobody's talking because right, they right, through yeah. this, this terrible night. And uh he just takes out another couple of eggs and cracks them and starts another arm. There you go. And Big Night is a really good movie. If you guys haven't seen it, I'd recommend why it's not a genre movie. It's just like a straight sort of like it's not even a drama. I don't it's know. It's kind what of a dark comedy. It. It's kind of a dark yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Very yeah. Very, very aptly put. And the other two things that I remember, although I know I've seen him in so many other things, but lately because these are movies that Laura likes. Um, Stanley Tucci was very good in Devil Wears Prada. He was kind of comic relief in that because he was like, um, who's the, what's her name? Meryl Streep. No, the one that everybody hates. Anne Hathaway. Burnett. Anne Hathaway. Oh. Yeah. Why he was. hate Anne Hathaway? I think I, oh, I don't know. That goes back way, way <laughs> back on the internet. Um, no one really knows. Yeah. Um, okay. but he played her sort of comic sidekick in that he was like sort of like the ear that she could bend and like be vulnerable and he was the one that was half in the world and half sympathetic to her he was good in that but also um laura likes the movie um jules and julia yeah with he plays amy smart husband. Yeah. and he plays meryl he plays julie child's husband in that right. he was really good in that amy I mean, that's a good movie too amy amy, amy, i said amy smart right yep. i'm thinking road trip <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Amy Adams, Amy Smart, I recommend both highly. But um yeah, uh he was good in that as well. Okay. Well, Rick, what is uh what's the first one on your list? Okay. Um this may not come as a shock to anyone. Um I have tried over my life to develop this cuz everybody in the world seems to have people that will get them to a movie regardless. I don't have anyone. There is no per- no actor that I'm like, oh, they're in this movie. I'll see it. Um, it's just that's just not. I don't do that. Um, I, you know, Helen Mirren, huh? Helen Mirren. She's no, pretty great. She, she uh, she's awesome. But you know, it, it, it. There used to be like directors like Tim Burton or or Kevin Smith or for um, me Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Yeah, that that died, but it used to be a thing. But that that's the thing. Yeah, you you yeah. know, it was like. Tim Burton was great. And then Planet of the Apes came out and then Sleepy Hollow came out. And then uh, what he did to Sweeney Todd came out. And it, and it just was like, 
I, you know, watching your heroes. <laughs> it's funny when you say implode. Sleepy Hollow, I think Brothers Grimm. I mean, it's the same exact demise. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it just, it, there, there is, there are actors that I really like, but there is no actor that, that will make me go see a movie. It, it has to be a movie I want to watch. And then if it's, you know, got people in it that I want to see, that I enjoy, that's, that's so much the better. But, um, however, as you as you said, we're also talking about underrated actors, and those I have plenty. <laughs> so, um, first one on my list is Jack Black. Now, I wouldn't say that he is underutilized uh, or uh, you know anything like that, but I think he's severely underrated and underestimated. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of his movies. I enjoy him. Uh, I, I love the stuff he's done. He did during, during the, the, the uh, quarantine during COVID, you know, it's very clear that sitting still is not something he does well. Um, I, you know, I appreciate his absolute confidence in, in and body positivity of himself. Uh, you know, it's just everything I've seen him in is wonderful, you know, from a comedic standpoint, but uh you know, I never saw the original Jumanji, the the Robin Williams Jumanji. It just it just when it came out was the wrong time, and and I just never got back to to, to seeing it. Um, but in the last two years, I saw you know the 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 remake, the or reboot or sequel or whatever it was with the uh, with The Rock and Karen Gillan and Jack Black and and uh, Kevin Hart. Um, yes, you, you and, named all of them right. Yes. Huh. I, <laughs> uh and you know it was one of those movies where i was like all right we'll watch it i wasn't expecting to like it and not only did i love it but there is a scene in uh what 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 is what's the first one called is it back to the jungle or no i think it's just jumanji um oh it's called welcome to the welcome welcome to the jungle that's what it is um there's this scene or you know if 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 you don't if if you don't know what the premise of Jumanji is it, you know it very nutshelly you've got people who are sucked into a video game and so you've got the rock uh Karen Gillan Jack Black and Kevin Hart all are playing other people being them they are the avatars in the game yeah right. but yeah. the personalities do not match the body types right yeah. Um, and, you know, Dwayne Johnson does a great job of, you know, do we, you know, skinny little dweeby kid uh, suddenly being in, you know, it was so body. great when in he the landed. The largest human and, body ever. Exactly. Yeah. And he's this big strapping guy and he's just talking to himself, do not cry. Do yeah. not cry. Do not cry. And we've all been there. <laughs> and, you know, and they all do a great job. But there's this scene where, you know, Karen Gillan who is, you know, is Karen Gillan, you know, stunningly gorgeous. And she's wearing, you know, a little crop top and tight shorts through the whole movie. Um, and the, the, the person who is, who she is playing is a very introverted, shy, uh, you know, girl. And then Jack Black is, is supposedly is like the cheerleader. And they all, it, it's all kind of like, it starts off like the breakfast club. They all get detention. Uh, and, you know, they're all, different and and so jack black is being the, the the popular cheerleader you know head of the cheerleader girls 
and Karen Gillan is playing this shy dweeby girl. And there's a scene where Karen Gillan's character has to seduce some guys and she has no idea how to do it. And so Jack Black is giving Karen Gillan flirting instructions and it is the most brilliant scene ever. And at no time do you ever doubt that Jack Black is this cheerleader girl, even though it's Jack Black. And I came up, we came out of that scene the first time I saw it. And I was like, that was Oscar worthy right there. And that, you know, no, the Oscars will, if, if they even watched the movie, there's no way that any of them would say anything other than, yeah, that was that stupid little video game movie, but black's performance in the Jumanji movies. And I, and the second one too, uh, uh, was great as well. There weren't, there, I, I, there wasn't a, a standout moment like that in, in the second or third, I guess, whatever. Um, but it's still black could, well, third of the Jumanji movies, but the second of the new Jumanji movies. Gotcha. That's, that's why I'm, I, you know, but you know, I think Jack Black has an amazing talent that goes, that, that kind of, is hidden under all of the silliness and the, and the, you know, and the tenacious D ness and the, and the, and the Jack blackness, but there is an amazing actor inside all of there that comes out every now and then. And I really think he deserves far more credit than he gets. Can I mirror that with um, this wasn't on my list, but just you saying that like uh, an amazing actor behind the facade that made them rich and famous, Mm -hmm. Jim Carrey. You see, I, I can't stand most of his movies, but like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and The Truman Show. Truman Show. Yeah. Truman Show, it, it will rip you apart. It the is majestic. so amazing. Yeah. I haven't seen The Majestic, but I, I mean, like Jim movie. Carrey can really freaking act. Like he is great, but it's hidden behind that persona that got him famous and rich in the nineties with just these screwball comedies that are just not funny. In living color and Ace Ventura is how people think of Jim Carrey, you know, at, at first glance, that's what they well, see. That's, I, I, yeah. And I got to know him on in living color. Mm-hmm. I think he was actually genuinely funny on that. Uh, Ace Ventura. Again, I think I was in college when they came out, so I didn't really see it. So it's not my jam. I don't, I don't, you know, if you like it, that's great, but it just seems to me like bad. It's almost like the 90s of equivalent of bad SNL movies that came out in the 80s. I, like I, I can see that. Yeah. They did it because it was marketable. Yeah. But it's not really got substance. It's like the, uh, who's the Catholic girl? The Nora, what was it, Nora Dunn? I'm so old. Oh, the, um, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, it, no, it's not Nora Mary, Dunn. Mary, Mary, whatever it was. Anyway, I, it I was the mousy. Sister Mary Catherine. Uh, whatever. Anyway. Molly she Shannon like, was actually. Yes, Molly Shannon. Molly Shannon. Shannon. Oh. It was, but like all of Jim Carrey's movies when he's being like slapstick Jim Carrey is almost like a Molly Shannon movie based on an extended SNL skit because yeah. it's just a one, a one note kind of deal. But if you watch mm. the Truman show, it's like, Oh my God, like this guy is really good. He's got chops. Yeah. Cause he's not using the rubber face that we got in. Did you ever see the, the, the Showtime series that he did uh, kidding? That's where he played sort of like a Mr. Rogers yeah, type character. Like a- yeah, yeah, I, I I didn't see it. I wanted to. I just I never got around to it. It's kind of a dark a, show, but he was really good in it. Yeah, 
it's it's in the back of my drawer of things to to try to catch because I've heard I've heard of it. I've heard. Yeah, it's things, canceled but... now. They did two seasons, and it, it, they're not going to make any more. But he was he was really good, and it's it's kind of a strange dark show where he plays a Mister Rogers type character, but he's got a lot of uh, family issues. He has a a son that died. he had twins, and one of them died. And uh, he's separated from his well, he's divorced from his wife, and there's you know a lot of stuff going on with uh, in that regard, and it's causing him to kind of have a mental breakdown, you know. But he's still doing his busy show. Chris, what's uh what's what's on your list? Well, I didn't know that because I barely read your when you invited me on tonight, so I thought it was just actors that would get you to watch a movie because they're in it. And yeah. I didn't think I had many of those like Rick, but it turns out I do. And um, I have some low-hanging fruit. I mean, the number one low-hanging fruit, although that's not going to be my first one, is Tom Cruise. I just I just really enjoy watching Tom Cruise in movies. And I'll watch pretty much anything he's in because I just think he's going to deliver somehow. Um, but that's not surprising to me. I've been watching him since the eighties. Like I kind of grew up with him. So I feel like he's in my wheelhouse. What I'm going to focus is on people who I didn't think I liked, but who, Oh my God, they're amazing. And my first one is Scarlett Johansson. And as much as I love her and um, Jeremy Renner as Clint and Nat in the MCU, they're my favorite characters. I didn't think I liked Scarlett Johansson until I saw a Woody Allen movie. I know baggage. I'm sorry, but it was, I think it was called match points. And I think it had her and Jude law. I'm not sure. If, that sounds familiar, um, but it was, it was kind of a murder mystery. And I think that she was the murderer. I'm, spoilers, but it's a good movie. You should watch it. But that's where I first noticed her. And then, and this is just my lecturer side coming out. A movie with Scarlett Johansson called Under the Skin, where she's naked a lot. So I watched it because she's naked a lot. But God damn it, that movie is amazing. It's got almost no dialogue. And she plays an alien that comes to Earth. And it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of surreal. But she carried that entire movie. She was so good in that, that once I saw that, I was thinking anything that she's in, I'm going to check it out because she's just, she's got the talent. She's got the chops. And um, I feel like she's now cashed in because she's been sort of a sex symbol. And now she's got the whole black widow thing going. So she's going to ride it as much as she can, but I don't think she needs that to be a good actress. The best thing I've seen her in that is sort of a parody of her persona, like her Hollywood persona, was a movie with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And I'm trying to remember the name. The Don Ju- John? Don John. Yeah, I'm seeing Where that. she she played like the hot girlfriend. Yeah. And she was so she was so reprehensible in that, but she yeah. was so good, you know? And it's it again, it just it prove to me that it's just like after I saw under the skin, it's just like whenever she's on screen, there's something to watch. 
And it has nothing to do with like her being attractive or her sexuality or, or anything like that. She's just like a really good actor. So you want to see what she brings to her role. And um, yeah, if I could recommend, if you guys haven't seen Under the Skin as science fiction fans, and this is mainly a sci-fi podcast, it is an amazing character study and it sort of harkens back to like 70s genre stuff where they don't need to explain everything. It's just kind of like a trippy, surreal film. And hmm. yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. So I think you would like it, Rick. I have been. Uh, the only reason I haven't watched it is I've never heard anyone say anything about it. Uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, seen references to it and, and, you know, the occasional still from it. Um, but I, I hadn't heard anything about any, I hadn't talked to anyone who'd seen it. So I, I had no uh, idea, but that, that sounds intriguing. I feel like if you're a fan of cinema, um, this is a very cinematic endeavor and it's, it, it relies again, it's a movie with almost no dialogue. <clears throat> so it relies purely on the visual aspect and you inferring whatever they're implying. So if you are like a studious viewer, like someone that's astute with cinema, it will have its rewards for you. I, I remember watching that movie, Don John and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, as it started, he's uh, he starts talking and he's talking in like this New York Italian type accent and everything. Brooke, I guess like a Brooklyn accent. I don't know. I'm not from New York, but he, yeah, no, no. Um, his dad was Tony Danza. So yeah. Yeah. That, so yeah, like, that, you, that, that sort of gives you a guiding star right there. Yeah. <laughs> who's he reminding me of? And then he goes home and his dad is Tony Danza. It's like, Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's who he's right. trying to act like. So, all right. Uh, Scott, what about you? Not an underrated performer. I don't think so. I think this guy has gotten a lot of props, um, or he did back when he was alive. Um, but a performer that will make it much more likely for me to see their movies. I won't watch anything that he's in. For example, I'm not watching any of the Hunger Games movies. I'm not going to waste my time. Stanley Tucci. Close, <laughs> but no. I have always been a huge fan of Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. in everything that he does. I don't think I've ever seen him give a bad performance. He's one of those guys that, regardless of whether it's a big film, small film, big role, small role, he he takes the time to do his own homework to figure out what the role needs and what would best serve it, and then to do that on camera. Um, I I consider him to be the most compelling villain in the Mission Impossible series from Mission Impossible Three. Um. I he it's tough to really describe him in uh Boogie Nights because there's so many great performances in in that film. Uh there might be an underrated actor that I cite later in this podcast from the same movie. But Philip Seymour Hoffman in Boogie Nights is is fantastic. He is he is transformative in that one he is somewhat chameleon-like in how much he's able to change himself depending on the role that he's playing. Um, and my favorite role of his, my favorite line, pardon me, sorry, I've had some 
drink it. <laughs> um, my favorite line of his in Boogie Nights, I can't say here on the podcast because Sean would have to ring the bell too many times. But it's outstanding, just the way he... Uh, I, I, I'm a bleeping idiot. I'm a bleeping idiot. He he says that line like eight times in a row. That's just the scene is him say, in the car, weeping, sobbing uncontrollably and saying, I'm an effing idiot over and over again. And you can't stop watching. Yeah. He does it so well with just such a simple line. But on the heels of the scene that came right before, it's pitch perfect. And he nails it. He nails his role in Magnolia from the same writer-director. The Master from the same writer-director. He does a great job in all of those. Yeah, he was great in The Master. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, also with a not huge role in Punch Drunk Love. Uh, he he did, did a great job in that one as well. Uh, I, I enjoy watching him uh, anytime I get the chance. And I recently got, what did I get? Um, I'm looking forward to making some time to watch the 2007 film before the devil knows you're dead. I've seen him. that. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Is it, yeah, directed by Sin, uh, Sidney Lumet. Um, and he is top build in this movie, co-starring Ethan Hawke, Albert Finney and Marissa Tomei. Uh, and uh, co-starring Michael Shannon. So I'm definitely looking forward to grabbing that one. You might see a little more of him than you care to in that movie, but <laughs> there's that. <laughs> you have any idea how many times I have played a gay character on stage? <laughs> I, I can I can take it. <laughs> I've made out with more men than most guys would probably admit on a on a public podcast. Isolate that. Yeah. That's my ringtone now. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, you're a theater guy. You'll back me up and say that they shouldn't do that. That's rude. <laughs> no, I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we'll, we'll go down. Do we'll go around and do one more. So the the last one that I'll talk about is Regina King. It's it's kind of weird because I feel like Regina King has proven herself as an actress, as an exceptional actress. Uh, television loves her. They love to put her in the leading role of like limited TV series. Like she was the lead in American crime. She did a series called seven seconds on Netflix. that was really good. She was in the watchman. Um, incredible in the watchman. Yeah. But for some reason, they don't like to put her in the lead in film. They, in, in movies, uh, she's always like a politician or a lawyer, or a wife, or a mother. and She's never like the main character. Um, and I think that, you know, I, that's why I think that she is uh, underrated, because I think she could carry a role on film very well. Uh, that being said, I, I don't necessarily watch every movie that she's in, because she very well may only have one scene or two, but I'll watch a TV show that she's in because they'll put her in the lead in a TV show and, you know, in the leftovers, like she was in the leftovers. She was great in that show. Um, and like I said, the Watchmen, she was fantastic in the Watchmen. Uh, one of the reasons I'm saddest that they're not doing a Watchmen season two is because I wanted to see more of her in that, in that role. 
Um, so yeah, Regina King, that's my next one. So Rick, what about you? What, what, what's next for you? Jerry Ryan. Okay. Jerry Ryan came on to Star Trek Voyager, uh, for very obvious reasons. Uh, it's well documented <laughs> that they, you know, they felt that they needed to get someone. I mean, I can think of at least yeah. two. I can think of three, two up front, one below. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and the, the, the animosity. The forge stayed below. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it was it, just put it bluntly. She was brought on for to to be some TNA to bring in the 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 sixteen to twenty one year old boys or men, whatever you want to call them, um, which worked. Uh, uh, but what I and I've ne- I've never had this confirmed, but it I think it's pretty clear that the writers discovered pretty quickly that. Jerry Ryan was an incredible actor as well as just looking really great in the cat suit. And so they kept giving her more and more to do on the show, um, possibly to the detriment of other characters uh, and certainly to the aggravation of Kate, of uh, Kate Mulgrew at the time. Um, they have since buried the hatchet and, and our friends now, but uh, um, I have seen her in other things, but nowhere near enough for as good an actor as she is. I even sat through the entirety of Body of Proof, which was a terrible show. Uh, it was a, uh, she wasn't even the lead. She was, she was the, the boss of the main character who was a, a, foreign, a coroner. And it, it was just, it was, it was just, you know, boilerplate, uh, you know, Quincy ripoff with. I cannot movie. believe knowing you, I cannot believe you sat through every episode of that show. I watched the whole. And I thing. love the fact that you just referenced Quincy. And that's, <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of, but that's the kind of stuff I watch all the time. So. <laughs> and, and I don't, but I was like, you know, Jerry Ryan was in the show. Um, uh, you know, I was following our, following her on Twitter, even got her to like a couple of my tweets, which was, you know, and so have you, Sean, it was, it was, it was a squee moment. Yeah. Um, you know, she's very engaged with the, with the, uh, with the fans. Um, but I can't get you then, to watch Breaking Bad, even though John Delancey's in it. He, he won't even watch Shawshank. Oh, by the way, Rick, I listened <laughs> to that Shawshank show. I'm, I'm telling you now, you're not allowed to watch Shawshank. I, I take that away from you. You can't watch it now. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, I think I think she was on Boston. Was she on Boston Legal? She was on. Etner yes. um, was on Boston Legal. <laughs> yeah, I think she was in that. I don't think she was. She wasn't one of the main characters. She was on an art, no. but she was in uh, I, Boston I Public. She was Boston in, Public. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, she was a regular on that. Yeah, I didn't. I yeah, didn't I wouldn't be surprised that. if she was on Boston Legal because Renee Bergenois and uh, Armin Shimmerman and William Shatner they were all on it. So yeah, but. Uh, but you know when, and, and, but it seems like they don't. I don't know why she doesn't get more work, um, because when she came back for for season one of Picard, she's easily one of the best actors on the show, uh, and I, you know I I think she still looks great. But they you know they they are they're not spray painting her costume on her anymore, which is you mm. know good. Uh, I I just I don't think she gets anywhere near the recognition she deserves. You know, I feel like on Picard, 
she was finally able to be the seven she wanted to be on Voyager because I'm not really a Voyager fan and I don't know much of Voyager, but from what I've seen of Voyager, the thing about Voyager that aggravated me the most was the second they had some sort of character development, they would walk it right back to square Mm -hmm. one. And I feel like that Jerry was caught in that web, in that trap. The one episode that I saw where she could sort of let loose, besides playing the piano on the holodeck and dating Chakotay, mm-hmm. was when the doctor had to transfer his matrix into mm-hmm. her cortex. And she got to let, she got to be emotional. She got to be something besides the seven and nine robot. Yeah. And she was wonderful in that. And it's just like they had this amazing talent. And they said, yeah, no, no, we're just going to do what we want to do. And I feel like on Picard, she can sort of take the elements from what she was thwarted with every fiber of her being from Voyager to say, I'm going to now play it the way I wanted to play it. And I feel like the heart of the character is still there. She's still seven, Mm -hmm. but it's Jerry seven, not Rick seven. Yeah. And looking at her, um, looking at her filmography, she's worked consistently. She's just she does two episodes of this, three episodes yeah. of that. So she's working enough to get by and to still be a successful actor. She just hasn't had a uh, a starring role in a lot of stuff until Picard came back. So. And yes, she was in two episodes of Boston Legal. (laughs) (laughs) And she's also brilliant. She was on Celebrity Jeopardy and just cleaned up. She was like, you know, Celebrity Jeopardy is often painful to watch because the questions are so She was was playing against like Pauly Shore and Yeah, and and to be fair about that, they they throw them softballs when it's the celebrity version. What's Celebrity Wheel of Fortune? Those puzzles are very easy to solve. (laughs) (laughs) The cat in the hat. I was... (laughs) And they give you the tease. I was watching it one night because my, my grandson loves to watch Wheel of Fortune. He calls it watching the letters. And, uh, and so when they started showing the prime time celebrity will of fortune, we were watching it and, uh, Paul Rubens was on there and he said, they, he solved one of the puzzles and he said, I really thought that, uh, the celebrity version was going to be like, you were going to make it a lot easier and pass a jiggle. I said, no, no, we wouldn't do that. Yes, you would. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Chris, what about you? What's, what's your last one? Again, um, since we're talking about, um, for me, actors that would get me to watch a movie, not underrated actors. Um, as a child of the 80s, I would have to say that some defaults are Michael J. Fox and Michael Keaton, the two Michaels, mm-hmm. the biggest Michaels of the 80s. But what I really want to go with for my last one, um, because I watch movies with him that I wouldn't watch otherwise, <laughs> The Mummy, Brendan Fraser. He's on my list. Um, I enjoy him in everything I've seen him in. And I was even watching like a trailer for Looney Tunes back in action. I don't give a crap about Looney Tunes back in action, but I want to watch Brandon Frazier. And he's been in the news lately because, you know, um, I guess he's gained weight and they 
showed a picture. He of had him. a mental breakdown a few years ago, and and he yeah. says that he was uh, sexually assaulted and things like that. Or he told a story about yeah, I, being I, I sexually read, assaulted yeah, in the past. I read the whole yeah. Thing. yeah, and so yeah. and uh, and and back then Twitter wasn't necessarily very kind to him. But uh, yeah, but in the last week there was a story where he's gotten a lot of a lot of people giving him uh, encouraging words, and he's uh, yeah, and he. It brought him to tears, you know, so. Yeah. And I can say, what, what do you mean? Twitter is a cesspit of yeah, negativity yeah. I know and vile <laughs> and just gross human behavior. Say. Twitter, really? But no. I have to say, I mean, whenever I think of Brendan Fraser, I think of just like movies that I've had fun with. And my favorite Brendan Fraser has to be Adam in Blast from the Past. And I think I've mentioned it on Cosmic Potato before, but I mean, that's one of the movies that um, my wife and I, we watch together because we have very separate tastes. But anytime Blast from the Past comes on, we'll watch that. And I think Brendan Fraser, he's just, he's such a talent. He's so likable. He's so affable. But aside from that, he's got, again, like he can make you feel for him in a movie. I haven't seen George of the Jungle. I don't know. It's wonderful. Yeah, George of the Jungle. Really? Good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is it really? It's fantastic. I I don't remember why I watched it. I'm sure there were some recreational pharmaceuticals involved. Um, but it, and it was it had to be one of those you know like hey let's watch it. Oh, all right. And I had a blast. I just remember. I can't remember much about the movie. I just remember it was way fun. And it's like you, Rick. Um, at the beginning of the show, you said, I don't know if there are any movies who, uh, any actors whose, uh, movies I would watch just because they're in it. And then I thought, and I said, well, usually if I see Brendan Fraser is in something, I'll give it a chance. So he, he qualifies for me. So, um, you watch Doom Patrol? No, is that HBO Max now? Or, yeah, yeah I had a subscription until. I cut down my cable. So if you, Sean Ray, want to give me your subscription to HBO Max, I'm, I'm using somebody else's I will give you I will give you Albert Mark Burgess subscription to Paramount Plus. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, no, yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of the on the old subscription timeshare myself. Yeah, me so. too. But um <laughs> I, I do have Netflix, so if anybody wants Netflix, I can give you mine. Um what is he playing Doom Patrol? He plays uh, uh well robot yeah man. robot man kind of like is, what's his what's his actual name Scott uh Cliff, Cliff yeah is this I think is Cliff this live Steel. action or anime oh yeah 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 yes. but he's he, he's like a big he, uh uh like a uh steampunk robot well, is he in the suit or is he just voice? he's not in the suit no. he's just doing the voice but there are episodes where you actually see him there's some episodes that take place inside somebody's brain where he's human. And, uh, and there's flashbacks to before he became the robot man and stuff like that. So he's in the show. He's in every episode voice, voice wise, but there are episodes that he's actually physically in as well. So wasn't he in uh, Dudley do right as well? Yeah, he was Dudley do right. He did a lot of stuff in the eighties or the nineties that, yeah, that was fun too. Another one I haven't seen, but I will say, I, you know, like I said, I I only saw them when they were out, so right. I, I you don't yeah. attest. If to, but to, I really yeah, enjoy. How did they last in the in the march of time? I understand, but I can tell you this: blast from the past holds up. 
Is that the one with Pauly Shore? No, no, no. no that's Casino, Casino Man. Man. Blaster in the Past oh, okay. is Christopher Walken, Sissy Spacek, and Alicia Silverstone. And yes. uh, Dave Thomas from Kids in the Hall. Um, it's a really, it's, and Nathan Fillion has a part in it too. It's a really good movie. Mm. So if you guys listening haven't seen it, check that one out. I would even recommend uh, The Mummy and even, you know, like, it, they're Mummy 2. Hell. They're not Scorpion, the, the Rock is total CGI Scorpion King. <laughs> yeah. It's still fun. I mean, because even the third Mummy movie, it's yeah. not good, but it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's silly. And he was in G.I. Joe. (laughs) Now I'm going to have to watch it. Thank you, Sean. And then I can go watch Cobra. (laughs) All right, Scott, what about you? Um, I considered adding to my list as as far as an underrated performer, uh, Barry Pepper, who you don't really see in a whole lot of stuff. I think he did like a Steve Prefontaine uh, biopic, Sean. he had a, a supporting like henchman role in Enemy of the State with Will Smith and Gene Hackman. He was unfortunately the lead, the the main hero in Battlefield Earth. Can you can you Horrible give me what, movie, what, but, what would I know him from, Scott? Because I yeah. everything you're telling, I'm blanking. Uh, Battlefield Earth is probably the. All most I know is John Travolta movie. as a Klingon in. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna Google it. Forrest Whitaker. I know Forrest Whitaker's in that too. I come up with a with a filmography. Um, anyway, and he he's not even really my uh uh my my pick, but he did also show up in Saving Private Ryan, uh, The Green Mile, um, and a virtually unknown film I didn't even know about until like two months ago. But uh, if anyone remembers the talent of Mr. Ripley with Matt Damon and Jude Law. That's a good movie. That's a good movie. Um, several years later, there was a uh, a sequel based on a sequel novel about the same character of Tom Ripley starring John Malkovich called Ripley's Game. And then shortly after that, a film was made adapting a novel that came between the talent of Mr. Ripley and Ripley's Game called Ripley Underground starring Barry Pepper as Tom Ripley who was played by Matt Damon and John Malkovich. And he did a fine job in that film. I, I thought I thought he did great. I think he should show up in more things, but he doesn't seem to be getting the attention that he deserves. But that was not my pick. The, the first person that I think of when someone says, who do you think is an underrated actor? Underrated because he turned in one great performance and he hasn't really done a whole lot of great stuff outside of this one movie. And that would be, brace yourself, guys, Mark Wahlberg. Stop it. All right, I'm out. His performance (laughs) in Boogie Nights was fantastic. Because he was playing someone who couldn't act. Well, when when his character is performing in porn, yeah, he can't act. And he does a good job of playing someone who can't act. But then when they are behind the scenes of those porn movies... Mark Wahlberg is doing a fine job of performing as Dirk Diggler, who, when he's on camera, can't act. But when he's off camera, he has a very distinct character. And he's very consistent throughout the entire film and does a wonderful job. I give 100% of the credit, not to Mark Wahlberg, but to Paul Thomas Anderson, the writer-director of the movie, who was able to pick Mark Wahlberg 
not exactly known for his acting chops. He had done Renaissance Man before Boogie Nights, and he was fine. In the role that he played, he did he did fine. P.T. Anderson brought him into Boogie Nights and gave him a role that he was somehow able to inhabit so well. And Anderson directed him so so carefully and with such finesse that he was able to give a stunning performance that he has never been able to match since then. Never. What I'm hearing is like he he mentioned him so carefully that he managed to get something like a watchable performance out of Marky Mark. Well, but that <laughs> see sorry. that that's the I'm thing. I'm sorry. He is awful in No, he's except, not. <laughs> except for Boogie Nights where he is not just acceptable but he excels. He does a great job in Boogie Nights. And since he usually turns in, you know, phoned in, lazy, uninspired performances and most of the stuff that he does, the fact that he turns in not just an okay performance, but a great performance in Boogie Nights is a credit to one, him, because he was able to actually give that performance, but most of it goes to the director. This is also... Yeah, I, I feel like PTA said, just act natural, Mark. <laughs> well, PTA is also the guy who, uh, for the first time, turned Adam Sandler into you know an, an actual dramatic actor who could turn in a compelling performance that wasn't just Billy Madison with a different coat of paint. Which, which film was that? That was Punch Drunk Love. I thought I thought you'd say that. I haven't seen that yet. He uh, at, at PTA uh, got PTA PDL three <laughs> kings got, rock star. Nice. Uh, three kings is four a brothers. Movie. The Departed, the Lovely Bones, the other guys. Let me keep naming. I'm, let me keep naming movies that Mark that Mark Wahlberg are, was great. Are in. you reading off like what's tattooed Painting on your forearm? Because that's what it seems like. Or, <laughs> or you could, Sean, keep on listing movies that Mark Wahlberg was in. These are the ones in the doesn't list that mean, I think he was good in. It doesn't mean he gave a great <laughs> performance. He might have given an acceptable performance, a fine performance, but he didn't give a great performance. Like Boogie Nights, Paul Thomas Let's Anderson. Just say like 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 Three Kings. I remember Clooney, not right. Marky Mark. Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson brought a great performance out of him in Boogie Nights. A great performance out of Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love. An Oscar worthy performance out of Tom Cruise in Magnolia. And Tom Cruise is fine. He's a good actor, and he he digs into a part and does it well. But pair him with Paul Thomas Anderson, and now he's. He's getting an Oscar nomination. He might have won. I can't even remember. If, if uh, I haven't seen Magnolia. Now I need to. And then you team Paul Thomas Anderson with uh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master. Or Joaquin Phoenix in Inherent Vice. Or Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread. There Will Be Blood will knock you out. Yeah. Because it's Daniel Day-Lewis and P.T. Anderson. Put them together. Yeah. That's... That's a wonderful film. Paul Thomas Anderson, one of my favorite directors, and one of the reasons is because he was able to take Mark Wahlberg, who has a difficult time giving a performance, as more than, what? No. I think that's a Transformer. <laughs> and he elevated that to... Say, how do you mother for me? <laughs> to a, a solid, gripping character in Boogie Nights. And I, I give him props for that and not much else. 
All right. I've got to wrap things up because okay. I've got to uh, log off. So we are coming to the close of this episode. I want you to go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash infinite potato, where you will find early access to episodes and you'll find film reviews that we do monthly. Um, this month we're gonna, we're gonna watch the room. Uh, next month we're gonna watch a monster movie. I'm not sure which one yet, but it's gonna be, I'm sure it'll be, uh, one that, uh, will be a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you can join for as little as $3 a month. You, if you join at the five or the $10 level, then you'll get thanked on the show as a producer like, uh, Bullet Bengal, Tom Corcoran, Dale Goodall, and Jeff Hughes. And Jeff was actually on the show, uh, last week as we're recording this and uh probably last week as you're listening to this too so <laughs> um and we're gonna have some of our other top level uh contributors come on the show in the coming weeks so uh we appreciate your donation it come it goes a long way to helping us put a good show together for you guys so uh, i want to thank everybody for being here chris thank you very much for joining us tonight let everybody know where they can find you I am a host of the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us at quantumleappodcast.com. All right. Rick, thank you for being here. Where can thank we find you? Thank you for you? having me. Uh, just go to the Cosmic Potato or the Infinite Potato uh, website and almost all of the shows I'm on at some point or another. All right. And Scott, where can we find you, sir? Uh, I can be found right here on this show, often on that Star Trek podcast, occasionally on Captain Game Show, and uh, coming soon, hopefully, in season one of I'd Watch That for a Dollar, my upcoming podcast where I sit down with a guest and review a film that I bought at my local dollar store for, wait for it, one dollar. How much? Two dollars. <laughs> wait, it's actually a dollar. I threw, a dollar eight I threw, with tax. I threw you off on that. All one. Right. Um, but it, also, if you're tired of listening to my voice, you can find my website, www.planetrisecreative.com, where you can see a whole bunch of my graphic artwork. And if websites are too intimidating for you, then you can find me on Twitter at Planet Rise. All right. And if you want to get in touch with us, just stay tuned at the end of the show. We'll let you know how you can do that. Thank you very much for joining us today. Be sure to join us again next time on Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. When you might hear John say when he comes back on the show, (laughs) I may not be the brightest bulb in the box, but I'm smart enough to know that bulbs in the box aren't supposed to be bright yet. At least I don't think they are. Again, I'm not the brightest bulb in the box. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Fredo's going to leave without giving you a goodbye kiss. Help the show grow by leaving us a five-star rating and a review. Or support the show by visiting us at patreon.com slash infinite potato. That's the worst goodbye I've ever heard. And you stole it from a movie. Be sure to join us again soon on Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. Brought to you by infinitepotato.com. Goodbye. Is it, is it the saying, is it the saying supposed to be the brightest bulb on the tree? No. Mm, maybe an no, knife in the drawer. <laughs> we don't put bulbs on our trees down here, Mr. <laughs> DeFilippis. <laughs> Mr. I, I gotta shake my head when I say Mr. DeFilippis. <laughs>
<laughs> I got to say, I just love that you can be on mic and still sound like you because as I've told you guys before, this is not what I sound like in real life. I just cannot speak into a microphone without my New York accent. So. Well, when I'm not on mic, you know, you might hear words like ain't come out of my mouth every now and then. I try not to, I try I not to, I try not to say that I'm Mike and uh, things, things of that nature. So I just, I, I just, I, I, I love you guys. <laughs> well, we love you too. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> now, um, this concludes our broadcast day. <laughs>